What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This week of Burn It All Down. It may not be the feminist sports podcast you want, but it's the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Brenda Elsie, Associate Professor of History at Hofstra University, coming at you from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I should say, if I'm going to say Buenos Aires, right, I should say Argentina, right? Argentina. And I'm joined <laughs> by the brilliant wordsmith at Think Progress, Lindsay Gibbs, who is in Washington, D.C., this week, Lindsay and I, it's sort of like our, our ritual. It's our second annual Pride Party episode, in a sense. <laughs> so we're going to talk some Pride sports, but we're also going to look at the World Cup, wondering if we can watch it as a feminist at all. And I interview Viviana Vila, the first woman to give in-match commentary for a major channel, along with Ali Wagner, I should say. And of course, we'll have our burn pile and our badass women of the week. So... Before we get started, Linz, are you watching the NHL playoffs? The Stanley Cup finals are here, and I have overnight become a Washington Capitals fan because I've lived in D.C. for almost three years now, so it's about time. And they're up to one over Vegas, and I was at a bar watching it last night, and it was a lot of fun. But I have to say my favorite thing so far has to be that I don't know if you've been watching Brenda, but Vegas, you know, Vegas, it's their first year as a team. And they've come onto the scene being known for their pregame entertainment, because of course, it's Vegas, you know, so they're having all the top music acts performing before shows, they're having these light shows and that feel like you're at like, you know, you're watching like sword fighting and things and, and they have, you know, the wrestling announcers calling the names of the players. So then the Stanley, so, you know, the Stanley Cup started in Vegas for two games with that and, you know, just all out, you know, rock and roll, current entertainment, fun. And then we come to DC and DC is in the NHL are like, oh my gosh, well, what are we going to do in DC? So the answer, Brenda, was that yesterday before game three, outside the National Portrait Gallery, which is right beside the Capital One Arena. So right outside the National Portrait Gallery, you had a Sting and Shaggy concert. (laughs) What? Yeah, a Sting and Shaggy concert, because Sting and Shaggy recently (laughs) released an island-inspired collaborative album. (laughs) I had no idea. Where have I I been? And guess who's performing before Game 4? Almost even more current than Shaggy and Sting, (laughs) Fall Out Boy. (laughs) (laughs) And then instead of having the big, booming, exciting, like, you know, come into the ring, you know, voice announcing the players and the lineups, DC's answer to this was to have 
Pat Sajak of Will of Fortune fame. (laughs) What? And he called the names, and they did the names, and like a, it was Wheel did of Fortune. Did he spell them? It did was, he spell no, them? it was Wheel of Fortune theme. Like, they put them all, all no. the names up on like no. a, like a Wheel of Fortune show board. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was just hysterical. Like, I think all of DC is like suddenly realizing like that their celebrities are like nerdy politicians. <laughs> everyone hates and that we don't have any current politicians and it's uh look it's just been it's been pretty amusing but you know we had Ovi scored a goal last night and Kuznetsov and they won the game they're now up 2-1 and my favorite statistic in sports which is that the Carolina Hurricanes have a Stanley Cup and the Capitals do not might not be true in a in about a week or so so we'll have to see Wow, that's pretty Cirque du Soleil exciting. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil presented by the U.S. Senate is what it feels like. <laughs> I now want to like watch more though. You just made me want to watch it even even more. Except I think that I'll get to like the midst of Pat Sajak and change my mind very quickly. Yeah, he's not the best. No, he wasn't even exciting on Wheel of Fortune, and that was like twenty years ago. Without Vanna, that thing would have just collapsed. You know, she did all the work. Yeah, Yeah, she did all the work. So moving on, we want to talk a little bit about Pride in Sports. Lindsay, you want to kick it off? Yeah. So obviously, happy Pride Month to all of our LGBTQ listeners. Yay. Um, We love you and love – yeah, we love you. That's all I need to say. (laughs) <laughs> but first of all, I need to apologize if you hear a dog in the background. That's my my dog. He's he's a little whiny today, but we press on here at Burn It All Down. That's what we do. You know, sometimes you just have to press on. But anyways, what really brought this to, in addition to it being Pride Month, this week there was a really uh, interesting story in the news. So North Carolina Courage defender Jay Hinkle gave an interview with the 700 Club, the 700 Club, if you don't know, is the extremely, extremely conservative Christian network that likes to say that, oh, I don't know, Hurricane Katrina was God punishing us for gay people or things like that. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's the exact thing, but they, they say things like that all the time. So Jay Hinkle decided to give an interview to the 700 Club to finally talk publicly about why she decided to leave the U.S. women's national team last June. So last June, Hinkle got called up to the women's national team for friendlies. And she never was on the roster, though, and they said it was for personal reasons. A lot of people suspected that it was because it was Pride Month, and during Pride Month, the team had to wear rainbow-colored jerseys or jerseys with rainbow lettering to support the LGBTQ community. And Hinkle has been very open about the fact that she's extremely Christian and you know was not in support of the Supreme Court making marriage equality legal and is not been a friend to the LGBTQ community. But she had never spoken publicly about this. And so she did give this interview to the 700 Club, where she literally said that the reason she didn't do this was because she felt that God would not want her to wear a pride jersey. Her quote was, I felt so convicted in my spirit that it was not my job to wear this jersey. 
and I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what he was asking me to do in this situation. The entire interview painted her as a martyr of sorts, you know, that she was sacrificing for her beliefs. You know, she gave up the opportunity to play for her country in order to not go against her religious principles. So there's a lot of devil's advocates, to use that phrase in a pretty ironic way, out there who are saying that, you know, she, this is somewhat noble of her and not noble, but you could maybe respect her sticking to her religious guns. But I think there's a lot more people, myself included, who just are incredibly disappointed and frustrated by this, especially her decision to go on the 700 Club, such a fear-mongering, hate-mongering organization to give this interview and to talk publicly about this decision. It's one thing to do it quietly, like she actually did last summer, and to just kind of step back. And I could, even though I very vehemently disagree with why she did this, and I think it's bigoted and hateful, if she keeps quiet about it and really does work to keep it under the radar, that's one thing. But giving the interview to the 700 Club just, for me, takes it to an entirely different direction. And I think it's worth discussing, Brenda, like, what do we think about what Hinkle is saying? And how does what does this mean about where Pride Months in sports kind of are fitting into our current push for equality and for respect for the still incredibly marginalized LGBTQ community? Yeah, it's so interesting. I really love your point about the venue that she chose to give the interview. Because there are many soccer outlets, there are many seasoned journalists who work on issues of ethics in sport, especially given that we've been now for years with the Colin Kaepernick case. There are other people who could have done the story in a way that would not be a propaganda piece for exactly a hateful, bigoted network. And so it's really, it's complicated because that decision is not unimportant. To give that story, and I don't know if people have seen it, but it's like a heroic (laughs) video. Like it's like got this music and her hair blowing in the wind as she asks God what if she should wear the shirt or not. And I hope God is too busy. I really do. He's one hundred percent too busy, and he would also be like, "It's a jersey." She lives. It's got to be a she. (laughs) She's got to be busy. It's a jersey. It's not like the team was not asking her to do something that would compromise her own sexuality in any way or her own beliefs. It's simply a jersey with some colors on a number. I understand the symbolic value and that's important, but I do think it's like, wow, all that isn't your Christian belief also about your teammates being protected from violence against them on a daily basis? Doesn't your Christianity include that? I don't know. So that was really difficult. But the the 700 Club piece, if, if we're just going to say that, and people should watch it if, if they have questions about what it looks like to make a propaganda piece for a right-wing <laughs> outlet. You know, she doesn't have that storied of a career as a soccer player. Okay? So, like, the first thing is the 700 Club makes it look like, you know, it's the biggest blow to sports of all time that she didn't play a call-up. And then it's just like, oh, look at me, you know, how I don't wear a jersey. I, I don't know. And who knows if she was consulted on it, if she had any editorial input into it. But it is a pretty disgusting thing to watch 
it being made into a heroic story to be homophobic. Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's mind boggling that there's no I mean, it's not mind boggling because it's the 700 Club and it's exactly what I would expect for the 700 Club. But it's so frustrating to watch a piece like this that doesn't work at all to put this in context. And like you said, I mean, there were other options to if she was really wanting to have a conversation about this. And there are outlets to go to and, you know, that that could have put this in context. I think that there is a way, maybe. To put this in context without it being a hit piece on her, you know, but this wasn't the way to do it. I think the way that she did it was so insulting. And look, I mean, and I, I wrote about this for Think Progress. You can't separate women's soccer from the LGBTQ community. <laughs> you know, there you just can't. And, you know, it's a big part of a lot of the players are and a lot of the fans are. These are the people who are, you know, with her on the field every day. These are the people who are paying the money that allow her to be a professional athlete, that allow her to play for her country or to get that opportunity. You know, and we're asking you to acknowledge their humanity. We're not asking you to stand up in front of a PSA and say, I condone this and support this and think what you're doing is 100% the way thing, way God wanted you to do it. Like, that's not what we're asking you to do. You know, we're asking you to wear a jersey that acknowledges their humanity and their marginalization and the fact that they need a little support. And if you can't do that, then I, I really don't have any patience. And, you know, one of our friends of the show, Stephanie Yang, wrote an article talking to the North Carolina Courage fans who are a little bit struggling with this. You know, they still, they love the team. They support the team. I was actually at a North Carolina Courage game last year and went to talk to a group of their supporters who had a huge rainbow flag out. Like they do at every single soccer match that you usually see. And they, they keep that soccer, that rainbow flag out in the stands for the men's games and the women's games. And, you know, really want to show the solidarity between the soccer community and the LGBTQ community. And it makes it really hard when you don't want to stop loving your team because of one person. But when your team is allowing the 700 Club interview to be filmed, I mean, it was done at the facility. It was done in the press box, which I recognize because I've been there before. It, you know, and, you know, the team is standing behind her, which, which I do understand from a logistical standpoint, but I don't know, it it puts the fans in such a horrible place. And it's just really important to remember that Jay Hinkle is not the victim here. And she is not the martyr here. And any blowback she receives from this that is not as long as it doesn't cross into physical violence, you know, or death threats or anything like that. But any blowback that she gets is deserved or in is is Part of the, that's part of the free speech thing. That's part of this is you get to say what you believe and then others get to counter that. Yeah. Well, it's been suggested on this show a couple times that I be made the commissioner of the NWSL, yes, yes. I think. And I would like to trade her to the pride. Mm. And that's my solution to it. <laughs> what will she do then if she's in Orlando? <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because she's a good player, but she's not a franchise yeah. player. You know, yeah. I mean, she, she's, I mean, and these, these players do get traded around a lot. She was already, there was a game in Portland this week, which I know some flamethrowers were, were there for. And the Portland fans booed her very strongly. And they, they, 
Oh, I didn't hear yeah, that. They, okay, that's interesting. They had posters that said personal reasons, <laughs> things like that. And, you know, apparently she was really upset in the locker room afterwards. But once again, I don't feel sorry for her for that. You know, I mean, like I said, I'm not condoning, vi- condoning violence or death threats or anything. And we know that often these situations uh, can escalate to that. But people have a right to be upset that she believes this and that she believes this so firmly that she would paint herself as a martyr. Well, she is a young woman and we can hope that some of this will be a a learning experience about the community in which she moves and about the teammates that she has. Yeah. Seems pretty ill, ill ill-timed and poor strategy to decide (laughs) to take that stance. You know, I mean, the people who have helped you your whole life, the people who help you on the field, off the field, and, and you're denying them equal treatment under the law and in the eyes of who you think is the all-powerful being, right? Yeah. It, it really is. It's hurtful to, the, to her teammates, I'm sure. And I'm sorry she got upset in the locker room or whatever, but I, I'm kind of like you. I just don't – I don't have patience for it either no. at this point. No. So can – what's going on – like I did see, so there is some interesting thing that maybe we could talk about in terms of Pride Nights too that we don't often get a chance to. This just this past week, uh, June second, the U.S. men's national soccer team played the Republic of Ireland in a friendly in rainbow numbered jerseys in honor of Pride. So I was watching it, and it struck me though. I mean, nobody's out yeah. in the men's game. Yeah, I know that's a thing. that's such a thing to think about you know these are such important events but it's also really strange for me to look at you know global men's soccer and I know that there's so much homophobia in the stands in the locker rooms on the pitch and then to see pride nights at the same time as I recognize there's not a single out male player Uh, Robbie Rogers was yeah right but not an active player yeah, I think I think it's really tough because obviously men's sports are still way behind the curve. And you've just recently seen women's sports kind of, uh, you know, women's sports are making progress, but it wasn't so long ago that it was a huge deal for a female athlete still to come out, you know? And, but men's sports, there has not been a wave since Michael Sam and Jason Collins and Robbie Rogers came out. There hasn't been a wave. There's still the trailblazers. But I think it's important, if only for fans, because like we mentioned, the I know that the queer community is not just fans of women's soccer, but of men's soccer as well. And, you know, I think it's an important statement to make. I know a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who love to see these displays. I also know a lot who feel that they're empty because there is still so much homophobia and because these statements have become so corporatized. <laughs> and so I know that there's mixed feelings when it comes to the rainbow jerseys and the pride nights. And I don't think that I don't want to be the one making the decision whether it's good or bad or whether everyone should like it or not. I think that there's room for all these mixed feelings within this. I would rather teams wear them than not as long as they're coupled with actually taking steps forward and, you know, stepping up, standing up for what you believe. I mean, interestingly enough, this year, the NFL, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, 
and the WNBA, who's done this before, are all marching as leagues in NY in New York City Pride, the New York City Pride March later this month, which is a really big deal. It's the first time yeah. ever that the NF- NFL totally. and the Major League Baseball have done this. And once again, Brenda, it's like what you said. Well, there's no really out players, <laughs> but I can't help but feel it's still a good step that these leagues are are doing this. Oh yeah, I, I I do too. I I mean I agree completely, and I love to see the events, and I love to see the people who participate in them, and it does change the climate. I'm I know it does change a climate if you're in the stadium on on a Pride night, probably. Though we can talk about the LA Galaxy game, yeah. what happened. But in any case, I can see the benefits seem pretty obvious. Like I don't see any step backwards by wearing it unless it's closing off conversations or more serious conversations about homophobia in in some of these sports in particular we were talking about men's soccer which is just startling to me because of the numbers of men's players around the world it's just every single time i'm looking at the world cup and we'll talk about the world cup in a minute and we can talk about russia but thinking about about this, it's just like, what is going on and how are these questions? And hopefully I think these Pride Nights might start to provoke that. Like, okay, this is good. We've started the conversation. Now let's deepen the conversation and talk about what barriers still exist to people being feeling like safe enough to be fully accepted as out people. And I think that's a really good point that you made because what you don't want people to be doing and you don't want these leaks to be doing is using this as a mask, using this as, you know, the my black friend of the LGBTQ, you know, conversation <laughs> and mm-hmm. saying, well, we're not we're not homophobic as a league. We marched in the pride parade, you know? And that's what you don't want to see. You want to see this as a start to to real conversations and as a, you know, legitimate show of support. And I know like the NFL, I read in Outsports that they are going to have a float in the march that's dedicated to the player. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking for his name right now because I am totally blanking on it. But oh, so Ryan O'Callaghan, who we've talked about before, is a former NFL player who came out publicly in out sports last week. So they will have a float in the parade that features Ryan. That's what the NFL is doing. And the NFL is also sending San Francisco 49ers coach Katie Sowers, who is not only a female coach in the NFL, but an openly LGBTQ coach in the NFL. And so she will be also involved in that parade. So those are two good steps, I think, for the league. But there's a long, long way to go. Let's talk. So what, Brenda, what happened? I wasn't paying super close attention. What happened earlier this week at the LA Galaxy Pride Night? Oh, it's really a sad thing. (laughs) It was LA Galaxy's Pride Night. They were playing against FC Dallas. And basically the P chant, which again, we can, we can talk about when we get to the World Cup a little bit and its relationship with some of these politics. The P chant is the homophobic slur that comes from Mexico originally, but has become popularized by fans around the world. So today, if you go to a game with any, almost any Spanish speaking population, that's what they're going to go to. So it was just, it was a, the advocate had a good article on it. 
basically the soccer fans said it every time. You you say it, there's a time in the game when they use that chant and it's during a free kick and the goalkeeper's defending and that's who they yell it at. And it's so upsetting to see it and then to see it ruin the pride night. <laughs> So that's what happened. And it's frustrating because that chant, it's not like some, okay, and I don't think it would be better if it was 100 years old or anything. So I'm not saying that. It sucks either way. But it's not old. It's a new tradition. It's something that was used in domestic leagues in Mexico in recent years and then basically got exported. So it's distressing to see its rise in popularity in my own lifetime. Yeah, that's certainly not a step forward and not progress. And <laughs> no. yeah, so I think I think it's so frustrating to see that. That's obviously awful. And then it's awful to see teams purposefully not to a pride night. Once again, I have to give a call out, not shout out, but call out to the Washington Spirit, the women's soccer team here, who once again is not holding a pride night. They're the only, I believe, the only National Women's Soccer League team not to hold a pride night. And they've never held an official pride night. I thought that they were going to change that this year. Last year, I actually wrote a story on the fact for, I think, progress on the fact that they have never held a pride night. Uh, Megan Rapinoe famously accused the owner of the team, Bill Lynch, of being homophobic after he chose to not allow her to protest during the national anthem when she came here with the Seattle rain at the end of 2016. So I think that it's just so frustrating to see teams. Pride night seems like the easiest thing to do. Like you just do this and it's good. Now, luckily the Washington spirit fan club, the spirit squadron hold their own pride night. And the team actually does publicize that a little bit, which is a nice I guess a nice thing, although it would be much better if they would actually endorse their own pride night. But I love that these women's soccer fans just stand up where ownership doesn't. But look, there's progress being made, but everyone, especially allies, have to keep pushing to make sure that this progress isn't empty shows of solidarity and aren't cover-ups for the actual homophobia that's beneath the surface. This week, I sat down with veteran Argentine journalist Viviana Vila. She's the first woman to call matches in a men's World Cup for a major network. She's going to be on Telemundo, which will reach an enormous number of people around the Americas and the world because it goes all over the world. And she had some really interesting things to say about the obstacles that exist for women and how not to internalize when men try to take you down. Hoy día tenemos con nosotros Viviana Vilda. Gracias por estar con nosotros en Burn It All Down. Gracias, gracias. Buenas tardes. Vos estás la primera mujer, junto con Ali Wagner, en ser una comentarista durante el partido para la Copa Mundial Masculina. ¿Cómo sientes escuchar eso? <laughs> Lo siento muy impactante, muy fuerte, muy grande. Muy mundial. <risa> Lo siento de esa manera. Cuando Telemundo me convocó para trabajar, no había tomado nota de esto, de que iba a ser la primera mujer de habla hispana que comente. No había tomado la dimensión de eso. A medida que me lo van presentando de esta manera, 
me toma de esa manera, ¿no? Entonces me, me causa... Uy, me llena de responsabilidad, de mucha responsabilidad, este, pero estoy muy feliz y muy agradecida, muy agradecida, porque no cualquiera posa los ojos sobre una mujer, no cualquiera se arriesga, no cualquiera toma este riesgo, y la verdad que Telemundo y Telemundo Deportes se ha portado maravillosamente bien, y ha tenido la generosidad de, de convocarme, no siempre te respetan tanto como me han respetado, bueno, por eso yo tengo toda esta necesidad de responder por mí, y por mi historia, y también por la confianza que depositaron en mí. Qué bueno. ¿Y cómo te preparas para yeah. tal evento? Estudiando, estudiando, leo, 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 estudio, tomo nota de todos los países, de las elecciones, porque la información no, no está estancada, sino que todo el tiempo hay cosas. Entonces, siento que no me alcanza el tiempo para estudiar todo, porque tengo muchos partidos que comentar, este, porque para mí también todo esto es nuevo. Entonces, se mezclan dos cosas. Por un lado, bueno, el análisis de un partido, que es lo que yo voy a hacer, que eso es lo que ocurre en, el, en vivo. Lo que ocurra, ocurre, ¿no? Uh -huh. este, pasa y pasó. Y eso, sobre eso tengo que hablar. Espero estar a la altura de las circunstancias. Y por otro lado, la previa del partido. O sea, que es la preparación de cómo llegan esas elecciones, este, cómo están los equipos preparados, cómo fue el camino hacia Rusia, las eliminatorias. Bueno, trato de leer todo eso. para Y después va a pasar algo muy lindo, pero muy nuevo, que es trabajar con un relator, un narrador que yo no conozco. Entonces, bueno, voy a tener de entrada empezar a trabajar con él en sintonía, ¿no? El feedback que se vaya estableciendo uh -huh. con él. ¿Quién es? Voy a comentar, casi todos los partidos los voy a hacer con Erasmo. Ok. Y voy a hacer dos partidos con Copán Álvarez. A Copán lo conocí, un encanto, me pareció bárbaro. Hicimos un partido con él de prueba y salió muy bien. Bueno, y a Erasmo lo voy a conocer directamente en Moscú. Así que no bien lo conozca y ya tengo que ponerme a trabajar con él. Sí. Y bueno, va a ser toda una experiencia nueva. ¿Cuál es el primer partido? Croacia-Nigeria. Ok, sí. Croacia-Nigeria. Sí, el día 16. El mismo día que debuta Argentina también, después yo hago Croacia-Nigeria. Y a comentar ese partido. Y después todos los días tengo un partido diferente. <risas> y has trabajado como periodista durante casi 20 años. ¿Siempre quizás te centraste en los deportes? Los primeros años de mi carrera no. Hice mucha radio en la locución comercial, animación, conducción de eventos, todo esto en radio. Eh, también mucha conducción en, en lugares, conducción de eventos. Y después periodismo general, no solo deportivo. El periodismo deportivo fuerte, fuerte, hará 17 años aproximadamente. Sí, una vida, pero bueno, este, fuerte sí, eh, tanto en tele como en radio, hace 17, 18 años. Sí. ¿Y cuáles son los desafíos de ser una mujer periodista deportiva en Argentina? Son muchos, son muy intensos. Tiene muchas alegrías, pero tiene muchos obstáculos. El mayor obstáculo es cuando una mujer opina, cuando una mujer emite un juicio, cuando una mujer dice lo que piensa respecto de un deporte que casi siempre fue de varones y que a las mujeres le costó mucho entrar. Ahí es donde se produce el primer escollo, el primer obstáculo, ¿no? Cuando nosotras opinamos. Porque mientras contemos algo que está ocurriendo... Los varones nos perdonan más. 
cuando las mujeres opinamos, allí está la principal arma de... De, el filtro mayor, ¿no? Cuando hay una lupa grande sobre nosotras, dice, pero ¿desde qué lugar opinas eso? ¿Qué sabes vos? ¿Por qué? O no te miran, o te miran de reojo, o no te eligen para los trabajos directamente, ¿no? Entonces, no te eligen. Si te eligen, el otro te está mirando, juzgando. Cada palabra que decís se analiza el doble. Entonces, hay mucha crueldad en todo eso. Crueldad de los colegas, crueldad del público también. Y ahí hay un escollo muy grande, la verdad. ¿Y recuerdas una opinión que diste que causó esta reacción? Sí, no es una en particular, no es una frase en particular. Y no es una frase sola la agresiva, sino muchas veces yo recuerdo que ante una jugada de, del partido, un penal, un offside, lo que sea... Yo opinaba una cosa y en las redes sociales con mucha bruteza me han tratado hasta que era, no, no era digna de estar en el lugar que estaba. Que cómo iban a gastar plata en un sueldo para mí si yo no era merecedora de estar ahí, que no tenía ni idea de nada. Y yo decía, pero a mí me eligieron para este trabajo. ¿Qué es esta crueldad con la que me tratan? Y fue devastador, ¿eh? Y además, esto fue al principio muy fuerte, y a mí eso me golpeó mucho, ¿viste? Y después, bueno, empecé a tomar un poco más de tranquilidad y decir, bueno, es la opinión de ellos, yo hago dignamente mi trabajo, no le quito la plata a nadie, no le pido nada a nadie, este, trato de ir por mi vida lo más dignamente posible, esto para mí no es un sacrificio, hay gente que le cuesta ser digna, a mí nunca me ha costado ser digna. Este, y hay muchos varones ofendidos con mi presencia y la presencia de muchas mujeres también. Entonces, pero básicamente es a partir de que yo opino. Si yo solamente informase, la tendría más fácil. Sí, la opinión es lo que genera tanto rechazo en el otro, ¿no? Tanto cuestionamiento, tanta burla, eso, sí. ¿Y piensas las cosas están cambiando? De a poquito, pero muy, demasiado de a poco. Uh -huh. Igualmente te voy a decir lo que yo pienso. Estoy convencida que aquellos varones que no gustan del trabajo que hago que hacemos las mujeres siguen pensando lo mismo pero ahora se cuidan un poco más porque hay esta impronta de las mujeres este colectivo de mujeres tan fuerte diciendo acá estamos es nuestro momento claro que a muchos se cuidan por ahí de esa crítica despiadada pero no significa que piensen diferente que en tal caso yo también arribé a la conclusión de que no tienen por qué gustar de nosotras o aceptar lo que yo opine. Lo que seguro no podemos aceptar ni acepto yo es el maltrato, es el hostigamiento, es eh, la palabra que te trata de denigrar como mujer y como trabajadora. Eso no lo acepto. Después, si no te gusta lo que yo hago, bueno, digo, a mí tampoco me gusta lo que hace un varón a veces, pero no por eso lo maltrato al varón, simplemente no lo escucho en tal caso, ¿no? Pero ¿cómo voy a...? Yo, ¿Quién soy yo para no permitirle un trabajo a un colega? De ninguna manera lo haría. Bueno, conmigo lo hicieron mucho. Bueno, eso duele, <ríe> pero lo claro. que duele, pero te fortalece también. 
Claro, <risa> tú hiciste muy bien. <risa> bueno, entonces hablamos un poco de fútbol. ¿Qué estás esperando ver en este Copa del Mundo masculino? Lo primero que quiero ver es una Viviana Vila que pueda analizar muy bien el pa <risa> los partidos. El Esto es cierto. El mejor mundial va a ser el que yo comente muy bien. Ese va a ser mi mejor. El mejor mundial lo, lo voy a ganar yo si yo puedo comentar muy bien los partidos. Eso. Después, bueno, espero ver juegos muy interesantes, espero ver selecciones que me sorprendan, espero que sea un mundial de mucho color, de mucha fiesta, de no violencia, espero ver un mundial bien organizado, que descuento que va a ser así. Y bueno, desde lo futbolístico, yo creo que además de la que seguramente, va, seguramente, el fútbol es maravilloso porque es sorprendente. Yo digo... Bueno, seguro que voy a ratificar lo que pienso en la previa de muchos equipos que están en el podio de los mejores. Pero después siempre el Mundial te reserva alguna sorpresa. Me gustaría que haya sorpresas para que no sea todo tan claro desde el principio, ¿no? Que no esté todo, si no siempre gana el mismo, si no siempre son los mismos tres que te animan la fiesta. Este, ojalá se reserve el Mundial siempre algo de decir, mirá vos, mirá qué bueno esto. ¿Ah? Eso. Hay jugadores que debemos pensar, mirar diferente. Bueno, mira, el caso es que estamos en Argentina, el caso de Messi, todos piensan que Messi se merece un mundial. Entonces, muchos están esperando, sí, Messi es el mejor del mundo, pero no ganó ningún mundial. Entonces, la expectativa está centrada en qué va a pasar con Messi, qué va a pasar con Cristiano, qué va a pasar, eh, bueno, esperemos que se recupere Salah y que pueda tener para Egipto un muy buen mundial, se lo merece por la historia de ese chico, que es muy chico, tiene 25 años y una, un, una desgracia le ha pasado en su hombro, pero bueno, confían en que van a estar. Después, cuando yo hablo de Alemania, hablo de toda Alemania, porque es un sistema tan maravilloso de juego, tan compacto. Alemania siempre es Alemania, siempre se gana Alemania. Después creo que Neymar va a protagonizar todo, todo, todo el show brasileño. Creo que Colombia va a ser un gran mundial con Falcao y con James Rodríguez. La expectativa de, de Perú con y sin Paolo es tan diferente, por Guerrero estoy hablando. Hablando, estoy hablando mucho de América, ¿no? Pero bueno, porque creo que, que Uruguay tiene allí también centrar sus expectativas con esa, esa delantera tan genial de Suárez y de Cavani. Y después yo creo que, por ejemplo, no dan como candidato a Francia, pero pienso en, en Griezmann, pienso en Giroud, pienso que es el técnico de, de Francia, tiene todas las luces y sus jugadores también, tiene hombres en todas las líneas muy interesantes para hacer un gran mundial. Por supuesto que España va a ser protagonista también. España es España y tiene, tiene jugadores, tiene esa Iniesta que es una maravilla. Entonces te estoy nombrando las grandes figuras de los grandes mundiales, de los grandes equipos. Y creo que el mundial va a pasar por allí. Sí, va a pasar por allí. Solo siete jugadores de Argentina regresan sí. del equipo de 2014. ¿Este equipo tiene una identidad aparte de Messi, aparte de la sombra de Messi? No. <risa> es la respuesta es larga. Sí. Mira, Argentina tiene grandes jugadores, pero todavía no encontró el equipo, que es tan diferente. 
Y bueno, yo estoy esperando que ese equipo aparezca. Tengo muchas ganas, yo confío en San Paoli. Me parece que San Paoli es un técnico más inteligente de lo que se muestra hasta aquí. Me parece que él mismo es más de lo que pudo demostrar. La verdad es que San Paoli pudo demostrar muy poco. Pero yo creo que él es mucho más como técnico que lo que ha demostrado. Así como creo que otros jugadores son más. Creo que Higuaín es un inmenso goleador y en la selección no ha funcionado como tal, como ese inmenso goleador. Entonces, si pienso en esto, tengo que decirte, bueno, yo creo que hay un equipo que aún no apareció. De verdad no apareció. Entonces, en función de los hombres que tiene, ese equipo tendrá que aparecer. Pero también entiendo que son pocos los partidos de un Mundial hasta la final. Son siete juegos nada más. Entonces, ahí donde yo digo, eh, cuando me preguntaste vos, y te dije un no rotundo, porque hoy España es un equipo, Alemania es un equipo, Brasil es un equipo, hoy Argentina llega con, mira, ya el inconveniente del arco, eh, llega, no sé cuál va a ser el equipo, o sea, sí sé en los nombres, pero cómo se va a comportar ese equipo en cancha, tengo todavía mis dudas. Sí es cierto que hay un fuego interno instalado en la Argentina eh, por peso propio, pero ya el discurso del peso propio a veces nos queda chico. ¿No? porque hace mucho tiempo que ese peso propio todavía no terminó de salir entonces eh, uno le exige en función, yo esto mismo no lo puedo repetir para equipos muy chicos Argentina no es un equipo chico, Argentina es un equipo grande y para estar a la altura de esa grandeza hacen falta cosas que todavía no he visto en este equipo puntualmente bueno espero que ojalá tiene más, más identidad ¿Cuándo el torneo Sí, claro, está? pero es que, a ver, sí. ¿qué tiene de muy bueno Argentina? Es que tiene todo para tener toda la identidad, hacer un buen mundial, sí. llegar a la final. En 2014 Argentina debería haber sido campeona del mundo, perdió ese último juego que podría haberlo ganado, un inmenso técnico, grandes jugadores, y llegó a la final. Epa, no cualquiera llega a la final de un mundial. Claro. No la ganó, pero llegó a la final. Bueno, tiene todo para que ahora ocurra. Hay gente o hay equipos que no tienen cómo llegar. Argentina lo tiene. Ahora, no tiene asegurado nada, absolutamente nada. Pero bueno, el fútbol tiene esta maravilla de la sorpresa, del imponderable, de lo que ocurra en el minuto a minuto, de la inteligencia de sus jugadores y de sus técnicos. Entonces, muchas veces los análisis previos no sirven de nada porque la realidad nos muestra que pasó otra cosa. Por eso cada vez más yo digo que los análisis previos tienen que ser más cortos. Porque a veces hay mucha preparación, chao. Y hay veces que llegas así, medio a los tumbos, y te paras por la exigencia, por la urgencia, por las ganas de demostrar todo lo que sabes, por los cambios a tiempo en los 90 minutos que haga un técnico que te demuestran que finalmente sí estaba a la altura de las circunstancias. Ahora, si Argentina se vuelve antes de tiempo, tampoco en mí representaría una sorpresa enorme, ¿no? No, no representaría una sorpresa enorme. Pero creo que tiene cómo hacer un buen mundial. Ojalá. Ojalá. <ríe> Viviana Vila, te agradecemos por tu tiempo y nuestros mejores deseos por tu viaje a Rusia. Yo quiero decir una vez más que estoy inmensamente feliz. Que una mujer, no importa que sea yo, salgo de mí completamente. Que una mujer llegue, o dos o tres, y mañana que sean cinco que lleguemos a este lugar, que mañana una mujer narre un partido de fútbol que todavía no ocurrió, va a tener un camino lleno de espinas y de obstáculos, pero que logre hacerlo va a ser una cosa tan maravillosa. Estoy muy feliz, estoy muy feliz porque nunca trabajé 
para una cadena norteamericana, me convocó y me ha tratado de mil maravillas y yo quiero poner todo mi esfuerzo como siempre lo puse para hacer un gran mundial. Ojalá sea así, nos veamos a la vuelta y te cuente. Sí, fue un gran mundial. <risa> Hablaremos. Sí, por favor, gracias. <risa> gracias. Gracias. The 2018 World Cup in Russia is just about a week and a half away. And there's news and news and more news about it. Before we even get to some of my favorite storylines, and I've got them, I want to talk a little bit with you, Linz, about how can we even consume and watch these mega event spectacles that we know are so terrible politically. I know we have this question a lot, but it seems like the World Cup is kind of the king of that question, the men's World Cup, uh, especially Russia in 2013. Putin signed into law a measure that stigmatized gay people and banned giving any information about homosexuality to children. They have fines for Pride Night. So speaking of yeah. Pride Nights, you can run a, a really big fine if you try to have one in Russia. And yet here we are having this really global game with a lot of teams that do wear pride jerseys in a place that has has proven to not defend human rights of gay people nor of ethnic minorities of women um, pussy riot how do we how do we deal with this lindsay do you have like a kind of strategy going into this you know it's it's we talk about this a lot of surrounding the olympics right and honestly surrounding the nfl and surrounding so many things that we love and I think my answer is always that it's okay to enjoy it. It's not okay to ignore the realities that are going on, you know, and that somehow you have to figure out a way to do both and you have to keep calling out the injustices that you see. And maybe that's a cop out for me. Maybe the answer is I should turn all this off and walk the other direction, but Realistically, that's the way I've been able to, as a feminist, as, you know, uh, someone who wants to push forward and wants to make all these places better <laughs> for everyone in the end, because I do see incredible power in sports. And, and sports aren't leaving. Sports aren't going anywhere, especially something as global and as powerful as soccer. And the men's game, of course, right now is, you know, probably the most popular sport in the world. So I think that it, it is sorry. Oh, it's definitely. It's my my American is showing is uh I sorry, I'm still having, you yeah. know, Trinidad and Tobago flashback. So, you know, I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's it's, it's really brutal. But so that's my answer. Is that is that cheesy to say that we can enjoy it and we can watch it, but we can't look the other way at this bad stuff that's happening. And we need to keep living in that uncomfortable space, you know, not 24-7, but like at least yeah. maybe 26, you know, <laughs> like 20 hours a day, six days a week, you know, like let's the majority of the time that we're, you know, watching this stuff and talking about it, make sure that these conversations include these horrible realities that exist. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the thing for me, it does get really uncomfortable because... 
There are many storylines in a men's World Cup that you just simply don't get in other venues. Just the sheer number of people that tune in, it's used by psychologists, by scientists to actually study human behavior because it's such a sample. It's the largest sample in the world of any event. Any event. It will be watched more than any event, period. And so to not participate in it is tough, you know, because because I am engaged with the world. And I do think that loving global soccer does have something about rejecting U.S. provincialism. It is. There's something that's like, fuck the NFL. (laughs) I'm going to do something different. So in the U.S., it's a little different of an identity, right? Even the U.S. men's team actually came out pretty strongly against Trump's statements about Mexico and the wall more than any other league. So there's reasons to really, you know, that warm the heart here, here and there in soccer. And I don't know, but it's such a, oh, it's such a spectacle. And it's so got you wrapped up in it because you've, you know, I've followed some of these players for 12 years, 13 years, right? So you feel like, oh, I remember when they won that match. I was pregnant with my second child. And it starts to mark your life in a way that's really difficult to quit. I remember Howard Bryant, who's such a great journalist, was saying this is the first year he didn't watch the NFL. And I was like, ooh, should I do a Howard Bryant here? I'm very divided, very divided on on the whole situation. Are you going to be writing some things for Think Progress? Yeah, about the World Cup. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think, yeah, we're going to be looking at it. I mean, look, the World Cup, it's such an, like you said, it's such an interesting lens to view a lot of the world through because you're seeing, not only you're seeing so many people in one space and you're seeing the good and the bad that that brings out, but you're also seeing these countries facing off that it's just fascinating to see these you know, two countries, two cultures on the same pitch, you know? And so there's going to be a lot of stuff on Think Progress over the coming weeks. But I think a lot of this and a lot of the discomfort here comes back to FIFA, which is, you know, we've talked about FIFA almost ad nauseum on this show. But I was reading a great piece, and I know that this this goes back to our previous discussion a little bit about pride, but from Minky Worden of the Human Rights Watch wrote, was writing in the New York Times opinion section this week about how FIFA really needs to step up when it comes to LGBTQ rights in particular. I mean, in 2015, FIFA did agree to require minimum human rights standards for countries, and that included zero tolerance for discrimination based on sexual orientation. And yet, they have not really been standing out and speaking out against Russia's discriminatory anti-gay propaganda law that was adopted right before the Sochi Olympics. And they very much are being kind of complicit in this. And, you know, Minky has a great piece that just says, look, FIFA is at best turning a blind eye to such homophobia. FIFA needs to say publicly to Russia that it expects a welcoming atmosphere for LGBTQ people at the World Cup. And it needs to make clear that the country will be responsible for conveying this message. And she adds that if FIFA is not able to enforce its rules, the top sponsors need to step up, such as Coca-Cola, Adidas, McDonald's, and Visa. But Minky, Minky, 
Really? Hinging your hopes on FIFA, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's? Come on. I mean, with all respect to her and the work that she does and the work that Human Rights Watch does, with a ton of respect, I have to say, that's probably not the answer. <laughs> but isn't that depressing? Because you read it and you're like, oh, yes. it's so simple. If they would do yes. this, that would take care. I know. Like, that would solve so many problems. It would. And yet they awarded the next World Cup to Qatar. Where homosexuality is not legal. And, uh, yeah, so I simply don't see the track record of human rights from FIFA, who has supported every dictatorship that ever existed in Latin America, including Mussolini, not even Latin America, all the way to today, where they will bend any rule that they have in order to please the host countries. So I just, I, I love Minky's article because it breaks down, and, and you're so right to cite it, because it really breaks down a lot of the ways in which FIFA demands things of the states and their relationship and how exploitative it is of public resources, the World Cup. But I just, I got to the end and I was sort of like, hmm, FIFA, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, human rights record. <laughs> if that's who we're depending on, we are so screwed. Yeah. So- there are organizations on the ground who are working a little bit. Uh, Brenda, yeah. I'm going to flip the tables and kind of interview you about this <laughs> because I know you're the host today. But uh, but I know you know more about FAIR than kind of anyone. So they're doing some work on the ground, right? Yeah. And FAIR came out. FAIR is what is football against racism in Europe. And it started as a European response to rampant incidents of racism in European football, especially violence against players on the pitch, monkey chants, things. I just let that sit because it's so painful to even say, but that is the most common thing that they first started with. And then FAIR started to expand a lot of its efforts. They have a, a scholarship program. They have a ton of monitoring systems. They try to do things like they just launched, and we can put it in the show notes, a diversity guide that offers specific guidance and safety advice for the LGBTQ community and ethnic minorities traveling to Russia. They have a diversity house and they have a WhatsApp emergency hotline. So they're really doing a ton monitoring. You know, they've done a ton of work and I know that Shireen's worked with them as well. And, and those of us who look for social justice changes in, in soccer definitely look to fair as as leaders in this. At at the same time, their reports have been fairly distressing about the increase of racism and homophobia in chance in the lead up to the cop. So even though Fair released a statement saying, well, overall incidents in the Russian soccer league of homophobia are down and racism are down, that's because what fans have started to do is stop using big posters and banners that can be seen easily and instead starting unanimous chants. And that way they cannot be particularly targeted, like caught oh, doing this. Well, that chain, that solves everything, right? <laughs> it sucks. Oh. It's like, put on your thinking cap to how you could get away with, with you oh. know, hurting these athletes. It's really awful. And they do it to their own players. Their goalkeeper, I believe, is, is Russian, but born in Brazil or to a Brazilian mother. And he's been a victim of it. 
So it's really painful to watch some of these reports that are coming out. And I, I think it's, it's really distressing given that it's two weeks away. I, I really <laughs> hope that we see it differently, but I don't know. It's not looking great. It's not looking great. Although I did see, and I didn't read much about this. You probably know more about this than I do, but that Mexican fans were, instead of saying that word that they say, <laughs> that they were asked to say Putin instead. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like, yes, there we go. There we go. That's the type of creativity I can get behind. (laughs) Exactly. And just a nod to Shireen that the pronunciation of that in Spanish would be poutine, which sounds a lot like the French fries she tries to traffic in. And so I was like, this is amazing. And you know what happened? They made... The, the ambassador made the company, it was a beer company because a lot of good things come from beer companies in Mexico, a lot of bad things too. But in this case, <laughs> Victoria, yeah, <laughs> Victoria is the company, I believe, and they had started it and the ambassador made them apologize for it. That's amazing. And say, no, we're not going to do it because the Russian, pri- because the Russian prime minister is too dignified to be made fun of. You know, gay people and, and people of African descent can be made fun of at any time and women in Russia, but not him. Oh. Yeah. So it sucked a little bit that it was defeated because I totally love that. I also love Mexico. Like if we're going to talk about some positive storylines, I love Mexico in general as a team. Grant Wall for Sports Illustrated called the Mexican team the most popular soccer team in the United States because they fill most stadiums, most people tune in. And so since the U.S. can't be in it, I'm loving some of the things coming out like that, like that story. And also Chicharito, Javier Hernandez, who's the nation's all-time leading goal scorer and one of my favorite players who has led the campaign against the P-Champ. And he continues to do it. He's got a great commercial where he tells fans, like, come on. It's like he puts his finger over his mouth and does shh. And he was trying to get that, I think, to catch on, to do like a shh and make a loud sound or something, but it didn't, it hasn't worked because homophobia is catchier, I guess. And so he was, (laughs) I know, I know, sometimes you just have to make quick jabs to deal with it. But he's really important because not only is he the all-time leading goal scorer for Mexico, but his father played in the 1986 World Cup for Mexico, and his maternal grandfather played in the 1954 World Cup for Mexico. So he is like soccer royalty, right? And I should say all those World Cups are men's World Cups, and we cannot wait for the women's World Cup. So <laughs> I can specify what we mean there. But he's like royalty, so it's great to see him leading this. I hope he can think of a way to do something, you know, on the field. The problem is that this is caught on, as I said before, beyond Mexico. So the Argentines are doing it, the Colombians are doing it. Yeah. It's like contagion. And hopefully it stops. Other good news this week is Salah is gonna be healthy enough to play for Egypt, it appears. I saw that. Yeah. So that's great. Ball don't lie. Karma. I don't know. Whatever it is. Will be great to see him. And I fully expect Spain to be dealt a terrible hand by the universe in this World Cup, given Ramos's terrible takedown of him. Paulo Guerrero. I don't know if you follow Peruvian ever, but he had actually tested positive for trace cocaine. 
because of an indigenous tea in Peru called, it's based on the coca leaf. And he got a really shitty suspension and that now has been overturned. So both of them, two very important, you know, players, Guerrero, the captain of Peru and Salah for Egypt are back in. So that, that's been kind of a nice story besides doesn't everyone want to see the Viking clap? Iceland, that's amazing. So I want to see that. Although they start, they play Argentina. So I have very mixed feelings about that. I want to see the clap, but I want them to lose. (laughs) It's like, can you lose and do the clap at the same time? Like, did you teach the Argentines the clap so they stop the P chant? Yeah, I think. uh, Dream big. (laughs) Dream big, Brenda. I know. This is what I'm reduced to after conversations about that. Lince, did you read about just the the only other thing going on is this other World Cup for Forgotten Nations, the CONIF attorney? No. I don't know if you saw that at all. So we should just mention it's just a shout out and then then we'll have to move on that there is a tournament that's been going on since 2013 for states that are not included in FIFA. We'll put it in the show notes because the New Yorker has a really good feature on it. And it's worth checking out and thinking about who counts as a nation for FIFA and who doesn't. Oh, so we're not talking. It's not like teams like America who didn't make it in because they are oh. horrible. It's for, it's for <laughs> countries that aren't even recognized by FIFA. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. They're stateless states. Wow. So okay, to speak. That, I, I can't wait to read that. That sounds fascinating. Okay. So stay tuned for our World Cup, men's World Cup coverage. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. We like to call it the burn pile, where we pile up all things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Lindsay, since there's no one else, I'll start with you. (laughs) I love being the uh, default option. (laughs) It's my favorite place. All right. We have a familiar face on the burn pile this week. Um, Former Michigan State University President Luanna K. Simon. Welcome back. Um, so this Burn, so, just already, so just last, even before you say it, right? So last <laughs> week, if you listen to our episode last week, we talked about a congressional hearing that was run by the House that had the leaders of a lot of Olympic sports and was talking about sex abuse within Olympic sports. Well, next week on Tuesday, so the day you're listening to this, likely the U.S. Senate is holding a hearing for the. Uh, that is for three people, and two of them are people who are huge enablers of Larry Nasser, which is former president of Michigan State, Luanna K. Simon, as well as former USA Gymnastics president, Steve Penny. So I will be there. So stay tuned for coverage. We got a lot coming up over at Think Progress, and we'll probably have something here on the podcast as well. But anyways, United States Marshals had to serve Luanna K. Simon with a subpoena to compel her to testify before the subcommittee. Now, she originally had planned to come to the hearing on May 22nd. That ended up being canceled at the last minute. So her lawyer uh, decided to complain because she lost all of her money when that hearing was canceled. <laughs> For she had you know already booked a hotel and a flight, and they were unable to get refunds. And then he said, "quote They set the next date without even asking her if there was an inconvenience." <laughs> 
No. Now they want her to come, but she's on vacation, the lawyer said. They serve a peanut because we tell them that she can't make it. Enough's enough. The fact of the matter is there. We were going to be there once already and lost everything. (laughs) What? (laughs) You enabled the abuse of hundreds and hundreds of girls and women and some men you don't get to complain about anything the salary that louiana k simon is still receiving from michigan state is i don't have it in front of me but it's a staggering number she can afford to lose a hotel reservation i just toss this on the burn pile forever oh burn my burn this week is complicated, <laughs> and it's, it's as I so often find myself in situations that demand nuance and yet are not being covered with any nuance, and that is indeed my burn. Uh, this week, uh, right, one week before Argentina opens its World Cup against Iceland, they will play a friendly with Israel. And there's been a huge movement within Argentina because of what has recently happened in terms of protests on the part of Palestinians and the repression of those Palestinians who are protesting, there has been an effort here to try to convince the Argentine national team not to play the game. There is a huge Argentine community and there is a huge Jewish population, Israeli connection in Argentina as well. So it's become quite a thing to watch. And what drives me crazy about this is not politics and sports, because I think politics are always in sports, but instead is the way in which the people who are asking for the game to be suspended because of human rights abuses in Israel are being called anti-Semitic. And then for those who say, look, uh, boycott's not the way to do this. There are different ways to change policy in Israel without boycotting people themselves and institutions who are doing a lot of good maybe this isn't a great thing, are actually suffering from anti-Semitic abuse. So (laughs) it's like, (laughs) it's awful. It's awful. And so I would just like to see some people try to look at this from a lens of human rights rather than, you know, their, their terrible convictions about or stereotypes about Jewish people and the state of Israel and also the Islamophobia that has run rampant in this campaign. So I want to I want to burn the way that the media has portrayed both sides and and really give some legitimacy to the solidarity movement because what has happened with the repression is serious and it's it's right to ask Argentina to explain it. Yeah. Burn. Burn. After all that burning, which wasn't that much burning, it was a bit of burning, but we've been burning the whole episode, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our Badass Women of the Week segment. Honorable mentions go to UCLA softball player Rachel Garcia, who had 15 strikeouts. (laughs) She is ESPNW's Player of the Year, not surprisingly. Also to amazing heroic mother efforts of Maria Vasquez, who, in response to the fact that her daughters could not find a sticker book for the women's La Liga, sat down for what I believe to be many hours and constructed one made up of 16 teams with all 368 photos of players, made it herself, 
and it's gorgeous. Also, I know, also, Alana Bruno, the first woman to officiate at league level of Australian football at the SANFL. Finally, in honorable mentions, British jockey Victoria Smith came in second place in the Jockey Club Challenge last week in her first competition after her transitioning. And this is a woman making history. Woo! Finally, can I get a drum roll? (laughs) You're welcome. Our badass woman of the week, it's not the first time, it won't be the last, is Ms. Serena Williams for re-entering tennis at the French Open, claiming a huge victory and keeping it positive with Sharapova despite her creepy book. So congratulations, Serena Williams, for your athleticism and grace under pressure. And cat soup. That cat soup, too. It's beautiful. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Woo! Woohoo! Okay, Lindsay, <laughs> what's good in your week? Okay. How did this question take me by surprise? <laughs> we, <laughs> ask it. we literally ask it every week. It's the uh, hardest one, though. It's sometimes really hard. No, you know, I have a really exciting week coming up. Next, a week from today is my birthday. And I actually planned something this year. For the last many years, I have not planned anything. And I've just at the last minute, you know, done a little hangout with friends, which is always lovely. But this year, uh, my friends and I are going to go on a little out-of-town trip just for a night down to Richmond. And then we are going to go to an amusement park and ride roller coasters <laughs> and go to a water park and I am so excited because I haven't ro- ridden roller coasters since I was in like high school. That is fun. That sounds really fun. So I'm excited for that. I'm also seeing Alison Krauss in concert this week. So that is incredibly exciting. And yeah, I just uh, can't wait. And what's good in my week? Let's see. What's good in my week is finishing my last class here at Universidad de la Plata. It's always sort of a rush to the end and also just a a kind of love fest at the end where you appreciate what your students have done for you, the ones who have stuck around and been in it. And for me, just my gratitude because with my language difference, teaching in Spanish three, four hours at a time, they've just been so patient. So what's good in my week is feeling like we actually got a lot of great work done and formed some really good relationships while I was here at the university and just gratitude toward my students in general. So that's it for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. Thanks for joining us. A special shout out to our patrons who keep us going every week. For those of you who have not subscribed to our Patreon campaign, Please look for it and do so. You can get extra content, newsletters, interviews, hot takes, all the like. Also, you can find Burn It All Down on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We really do appreciate your ratings and your comments and feedback. We're on Facebook at Burn It All Down and Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. For information about the show, links and transcripts for each episode, please check our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us, and we do try to respond just as fast as we can and appreciate all the feedback that you give us. So for Lindsay and I, please have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. And I'm sorry.